Welcome to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. I'm James Moore. I'm Kate Oda. And today we are going to be talking about the book An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green, which is a young adult slash new adult light sci-fi novel that takes place in Manhattan and other parts of New York. And it's written as a memoir. Uh, but before we get started talking about that, I briefly want to acknowledge the fact that we had talked about this episode being about the book The Late Show by Michael Connolly, and Kate will tell you why we decided to not go with that book. Basically, it, it didn't fit the premise of the podcast. The, the main character was not a strong female uh, protagonist. It hit a lot of cliches. There were a lot of problems in terms of how she was portrayed as a woman. I didn't want to support it. We all discussed it, and uh, and the writing was uh, not not very strong either. So we decided to pass. Mm-hmm. Which is definitely very surprising for an author that has lots of books out on the market. <laughs> but yeah, so we decided to go with this book instead, and we haven't done a young adult, new adult book yet, and we hadn't done sci-fi, even though this was a little bit more, as Kate, she was saying earlier before we got started, that it was more like speculative sci-fi is kind of light, and I think that has to do with the fact that the narrator was, because she was writing it as a memoir, we only could really know as much science as she knew. So, it, I mean, I think it makes sense that it didn't get too far into the sciencey part of it. Yeah, there there was a little bit of hand waving whenever she talked to uh, her scientist friend Miranda. It was like, and she told me about things, but what I got from it was this. Yeah, I I appreciated the fact that it was kind of light on the sci-fi part of it. I wouldn't really call it a technology a book because there was a lot of technology that was spoken about and explained to her, the main character April May, and. Um, it allowed the characters to be in the foreground as opposed to technology or sci-fi being in the foreground. And I think that's why I enjoyed it, because I haven't really ever been able to get into a sci-fi book, and I think part of that is because usually it's so focused on the setting or whatever technology it is that they're talking about, or we're in space, or whatever it is, and this was, I mean, obviously... The Carls, the robots, played a huge role in the plot. They were the plot, but, as you said, the characters were really the focal point, which, you know, I tend to enjoy. And I think that it makes sense for a young adult, new adult book that it wasn't really heavy on technical terms and so much where they would get lost and give up. So what were your overall thoughts on this book? Overall, I I did enjoy the book overall. And I know that that doesn't necessarily tie into whether you like the character or not, the protagonist. I really wanted to like April May as a person. She came across a little bit as selfish to me. And I know we'll discuss that. But I I really wanted her to be more of a hero and to show that better in the book. But maybe that's what made it a little bit more realistic. Because I think one of the themes was, you know, how fame can corrupt you. Because that's definitely what happened to her. Yeah. Overall, I think I, I, I have to say I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was uh, an easy read, a fast read, uh, very digestible. I I agree. I had problems liking April May. And in fact, at one point, I was actively rooting against her. <laughs> I was like, girl, just go home. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I was rooting against her antagonists even more, so maybe that's that's why it worked, but uh, the style was very much like John Green, Hank Green's brother, who I suspect beta read or critique partnered. It would only make sense, uh, but I did get that flavor. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions, because I've read all of John Green's books. I don't know if you've read any of them, but did you find yourself like comparing the two? I mean, it was a very different genre. John Green writes more contemporary young adult and this was you know on the later age frame uh you know she was 23 whereas john green's characters are usually still in high school um but i found myself thinking like hmm i always wonder you know when people have personal connections to really famous authors like how much of a role did that play in this being published as a book but i I was still, I was pleasantly surprised by how, you know, thought out the story was, too. I also was thinking about the book The Circle by Dave Eggers. Have either of you read that book? Or seen the movie? There was a movie, too, with Emma Watson. I remember seeing trailers. So it's basically a book about a tech company, similar to, like, Google, where they keep adding on more and more and more and... It gets to the point where everyone who works there has, like, security cameras on them all the time. And they're live streaming everything they're doing. And, you know, they're connected to social media. And they've got all these drones. And they're seeing. And and basically, it's like, okay, you can go to, like, Google Maps and type in any location. And there'll be cameras there. So, you know, say you're a surfer and you want to see what the ocean's like. You can go to any part of the ocean and there's cameras set up and you could see what it's like at any point in time. And it gets to the point where, you know, like people have them in their bathrooms and their bedrooms and like you're live streaming your life. And, but the way that it was set up, like it all made sense logically, like the progression of like, okay, I can see how to go from this step to this step. It wasn't that far of a jump, but when you go from where you were in the beginning to how far you went in the end, it's kind of ridiculous, but also it's not that unrealistic for <laughs> where we are in society. So I kind of was thinking about that and and how that related to how fast April jumped into all this. Like, she was so anti-social media, and then all of a sudden she's, like, broadcasting her whole life. So what did you guys think about how quickly she shifted? I thought about Chewbacca Mom. Do you remember Chewbacca Mom? No. <laughs> oh my god. So this woman bought this mask of Chewbacca at Kohl's. I saw that. Yeah. And when you open the mouth, uh, your mouth, the mouth of the mask opens and it makes a Chewbacca noise. And she was just hysterically laughing in her car. Mm-hmm. And she became a sort of viral sensation. She went on Ellen. Like mm-hmm. all this. She was like everywhere for about four days. And then she was just gone. And this kind of reminded me of that. And like, what if Chewbacca mom had stepped it up? And, like, kept doing other things. That's kind of what April May did. Like, one viral video, you know, totally happens to everybody. But if you kind of know what you're doing, like, video production artsy stuff, Mm -hmm. then you go to the next level. And then you just, like, keep going because you're getting paid for it. So why not? And some people (laughs) do. They, They purposely try to make something go viral so then they can start to promote whatever their normal thing is they do. And there are so many stupid things that I see go viral. I'm like, why Why is this a thing? Why? Or you see a YouTube channel that has like a million subscribers and you watch it and it's the most random thing. Like, why, 
why are people like there was one my aunt was telling me about where it's just some kid making weird noises and it has like two million subscribers. It's very bizarre and I didn't look it up. I, <laughs> I took her <laughs> word for it. But yeah, if you know how to capitalize and you have a team behind you, you can turn your viral video into becoming famous, I guess. Well, I think that we have enough for another podcast to talk about how our society has turned into the the trollers that's looking to click subscribe on something. And of those 2 million subscribers you saw on that channel, I'm sure that you probably got maybe 1,900,099 that are not going, they're not thirsting for it going every day. They just hit that button because it doesn't cost you anything to hit that button. And you think it's cool at the time. You think it's cool for three minutes and then you move on to the next thing. So people that are making money though on YouTube, that sort of thing, the trick for them is to get eyeballs constantly. What's the new thing? What's the new thing? I think it's, it tells what our society is about, but that's kind of going away from what we do here. I mean, I understood why she got so caught up in it, but I, I almost felt like it was a little too unbelievable, like how fast she was like, I don't have anything at all. I'm anti-social media to like, this has taken over my whole life. It just seemed so fast to me because all of this happened over the course of what, a, a couple weeks, a couple months, maybe. Yeah, I, th I think the first chunk was in like a couple of weeks, and then there were there's a longer period until the very end because the figuring out the dream took a long time. That's right. Yeah, and so it was interesting too how you know you mentioned that she was kind of selfish, and the president had to come talk to her several times. Like you shouldn't be making decisions on behalf of the entire <laughs> world, you know. And so it was. <laughs> I mean, I'm like the last person to make fun of millennials because I'm technically a millennial. But also, that was a very millennial thing to do, to be like, well, I know what's best, so I'm just going to make a decision that I think is going to work for everybody. Yeah. And I'm going to broadcast it out to everybody. Yeah, she was definitely blinded by her fame. And her whole dynamic reminded me of what you hear about people when they buy lottery tickets, but they hate people that have money. You know, you yeah. might be broke. You have no money. Rich people are like this. They're like that. They inherited their money. They never worked a day in their life, that sort of thing. Then all of a sudden, when they have money, bam, you know, they dive right into the having money thing. And that's what she did. But it was fame. She really didn't. Her life changed as far as quality of life and that sort of thing. And she was making money, sure. But it was really the fame that was her drug. I thought that. It, it, she kind of chose herself. You know, there's like the chosen one trope. And the moment that she got the fame for it, she was like, I'm the chosen one. The Carls care about me. Mm -hmm. And up until the very end, I was like, they don't care about you, April. <laughs> <laughs> the Carls don't care about anyone. And then when they prevented her from being killed, like the hand and the jelly. Ugh, yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, maybe she is the chosen one. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. then we found out that they ultimately didn't save her at the end. I disagree. Oh, okay. Okay, well, let's talk about that. So, <laughs> so there is going to be a second book. So obviously it left us on a huge cliffhanger. I disagree. Okay, so I have a couple theories. So one is that somehow she has been uploaded, like her consciousness has been uploaded into social media. <laughs> or, like, the internet or something. Like, I'm going, uh, 
uh, what's that show? Um, Westworld. I'm calling Westworld here. Uh, I was thinking Ralph Breaks the Internet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or that. <laughs> or she's in a Carl. I don't know. Or they somehow resurrected her. Those are my three theories, but what do, what do you think? Oh, I think they resurrected her. Yeah, because she she knew in detail what happened to her in that fire. She's like, oh, and then the thing entered my brain. And I was like, ew, 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 ew. But... Then she texts Andy at the very end with knock, knock, and, like, there was a knock at the door. She's alive. Well, and she's still sure. writing the book. And she's still writing the book, yes. So, 100 they they resurrected her. She's back to being a human. Hopefully, a smarter one. <laughs> I wonder if it's really her that they've resurrected, because there was a, a lot of her her personality, her life that she had, basically put in digitized form by being so involved with social media and that sort of thing. And the way they described her going out party in that burning building, she's dead in a fried chicken. But yeah. they, they I, I know they leave a door open at the end, and and the calls, they seem to be capable of doing a lot of things. But I wonder if it's really her that they bring back or just some kind of copy. Yeah, that's why I think she... Is it's not her body because I don't know how they could have brought back her body after what it went through. But I definitely think that they have her in something, whether that's one of the Carl bodies or some other kind of robot or I don't know. I don't. I think they're capable of fixing her body because they gave everyone the same dream. I mean that's weird. So they're they're clearly into human brains. They could. They could Wasn't fix it? Up. But the dream was a virus, right? Because the because she was patient zero. Well, but it acted like a virus. I don't think it was a real virus. It, I don't think it was. It, it behaved like a virus. That's how they saw it. Because it was in just in the fact that it was passed on from person to person in that way. That's how it was a virus. But I don't think it was actually an infection that... Yeah. I think it's science that, you know, with some hand-waving, we can't understand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, they'll go into that more in the next book. But, oh, I hate cliffhangers. <laughs> I hate finishing a book and feeling like I don't have a complete story. And that's how I feel with this one. There's still so many questions that I have. I'm not 100% sure why the Carls were there still. And what they really can or cannot do. Where they came from. Like, I'm sure, you know, we're going to get way more sci-fi-y in the next book. Because <laughs> they'll have to explain or wave away some of that stuff. But the fact that we don't know really what happened to her, what happened to them, or it just doesn't feel complete to me, and I hate series. I'll probably force myself to read the next book so I know what happens, but I'm really mad about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not even clear on why the calls are there. Why did they show up? How did they find us? That sort of thing. I'm hoping that those questions are going to be answered in the next book. But, like you, I mean, I don't, I don't mind a cliffhanger if it's part of a story arc for a main character or some main characters. And I have a feeling, this is just a guess, that this next book is not going to be about the April May story arc as far as her developing as a character. It might be some things that she does and explain how she's come back and that sort of thing, but I don't know how those events will change her as far as being a, a more generous person, appreciating the people that were around her and that sort of thing. But maybe, maybe they'll pull it off. I think that the fun of speculative fiction is that you leave and you have no idea what just happened to you. No! Because like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
sci-fi, I want to know the details, but like speculative sci-fi with like mostly short stories, you know, where something weird happens, an alien abduction or whatever, and I want to know the details. I'm like, that was a fun romp. The end, and oh. you just leave. So you see this as speculative sci-fi? Yeah, because it's so real world with like just one weird element tossed in instead of more of the sci-fi. I guess it was like Bird Box in that way. Did you read that one or watch that movie? I yeah, know what I it did. is, but I'm terrified of it. Oh yeah, it was great. And then, like it finishes and it's the same thing where you're like, I'm still not quite sure what these things were, or what they wanted, or what. So you were unsatisfied with Bird Box? Yeah. I really, really liked it. The book and the movie, but the ending still left me feeling like I don't really understand, and I know I'm not supposed to understand because that's the whole point of it. Well, I think Kate just kind of changed my mind on seeing this as speculative sci-fi because, like you said, in a lot of short stories, I enjoy that. But um, I was initially thinking that in the you know book this long, I want a complete story, I want an arc, I want some explanation, but. Then one of my favorite sci-fi movies, and I don't watch a lot of sci-fi, but the original, The Day the Earth Stood Still, well, that's speculative sci-fi right there. At the end, it's like, okay, you've <laughs> Earth has got this ultimatum. You guys better get your stuff together, or we're going to come from all other galaxies and stop you. And what happens next is a big question that never gets answered, because they just left it there for people to speculate on, kind of like the whole deal with the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone was anthology based on speculative what-ifs. And I guess I could see this book doing that same thing, being a what-if type thing. But I think the fact that it is a series leads me to believe that, well, it's not supposed to be that way because the goal is ultimately that you read the next book with the hopes that they're going to explain it. So if I go through the hassle of reading the second book and they don't explain it, I will be very upset. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, that's cause, you know, with a series, that's... In my opinion, the whole point of having a series is that you have so much content, world building, and all that to do that you just cannot finish it in one book without it being like a thousand pages. So if there's any other purpose <laughs> besides that, then I don't want a second book. Then I'll just leave it at, at this. Yeah, I'll say I I didn't really think a second book was warranted. I don't think there's enough left to say, really. I would have to agree with that. I would be... I don't know if I'm even interested in reading the, the next book because I'm thinking that April May as a character, I, I just don't want to see any more of her. I just don't care. Yeah. I, she she even told us she was unlikable. She's like, I know this is wrong. And then <laughs> did it anyway. And I'm like, listen, girl. <laughs> well, I took that as, okay, she's reflecting on this in the future and now she can see more clearly. So I would expect, like you said, you didn't expect her to have a character arc in the next book. But I think the character arc would be her coming back and like meeting somewhere in the middle from who she was at the beginning of the book to the end. Like she's going to take it down a few notches. If she comes back and she's still just as selfish and like entitled as she was at the end of this book, then I don't know. That would not be the right character development. No, it wouldn't. The The right way to handle it, and I guess what would be the stock way, the in the unimaginative way that I would do it, of course, because I have no imagination, is that she would, if she'd come back in some way and see someone else budding, you know, in fame like she was and kind of be the Yoda to that person, help try to help them avoid these landmines, that, that sort of thing, 
that's kind of where you might have a chance of getting me interested in April, May again. But other than that, I'm not interested in April, May anymore. Are you surprised that her friends stuck by her? Like, do you think that they were just sticking by her because they were curious about the Carls and the social media and the fame and all that that came with it? Or do you think they still wanted to be by her side and her friend? I think Robin was being paid. And good for Robin for doing his job. (laughs) (laughs) He made sense to me. Andy was also kind of a creator of the videos thing, so it it made sense that he stuck around. And he got a lot of money from everything, too. And he was her pal before she was anything. Yeah. So, of course, I... The reason why her friends stuck around is because they were decent human beings. Yeah. I think basically that, yeah. that's at the core. That's that's what happened. I'm not saying that she's not a, not capable of being a decent human being, but she sidesteps doing that or knowing what a decent human being would do. She sidesteps that for what she core wants. She wants fame and she wants attention and without a relationship, really, because she kind of pushed people away near near that end. Well, even earlier with Maya, she like yeah, consciously we, pushed her. Away. Yeah, Maya, her the way she treated Maya really just pissed me off mm-hmm. because Maya was you could tell she was a quality person, but she basically treated her like her pet. Yeah. Okay, this pet is entertaining me now, but you know I really found out that I didn't really want a dog, so I'm going to go down to the pound and drop this dog off. Basically, that's what she did. <laughs> that's the worst. <laughs> but. Tell me she didn't do that. No, no, she totally did. (laughs) She totally did that. Yeah. So I guess that brings up the question, is she, I mean, she was annoying, but was she a strong female lead character? Can you be a strong female lead character even if you're unlikable? Oh, definitely. I I think she was a strong female character because she she had some nuance. Like, we didn't like her, obviously, but she had some nuance. She had moments where she decided to do the right thing and, like, reach out to Maya and be like, hey, so you're you're big in this dream thing and we need help. She did kind of grow as she went. There was the reflective voice telling you that she was aware that things were bad by the end. So I, th- I think she was strong in terms of, like, a round character. And and she had a lot of agency. I mean, she, she chose to keep moving forward in this fame thing. And mm-hmm. she certainly could have just sat back and been like, I found the Carls, but now it's the president's problem. Good night, everybody. You right. Know? I think that part of being a strong character is that you can make decisions on your own. And, you know, she had a team of people kind of advising her whether or not she actually took their advice sometimes. That was questionable. But I think the problem in a lot of stories with the women characters is that they're submissive and there's always a guy telling them what to do or someone else or a boss or whoever. So I think the fact that she was doing what she wanted to do and what she felt like was best, whether it was right or wrong, does make her a strong lead character. She was definitely a strong lead character uh, without really being an antagonist. She was the protagonist of the book and stayed that way. But, uh, you know, one of my examples of an unlikable character that's a strong female character, so one that I take flack for from my wife because she gives me a hard time, is the, the, the witch from The Wizard of Oz. I love her, her character. She, she enjoys her work, what she does. She's got she's got leadership. She's in charge of those flying monkeys, and she she goes for it. She goes after what she wants to what to do. I mean, of course, you know she has to be defeated in the end. But I think she's an even stronger character wise than than Dorothy. So oh yeah, Dorothy so, is. I don't think she's strong. She's not at strong all. at all. She's weak, independent, and 
doesn't really He's understand things. Of the world. Which is kind of is basically the opposite of April May. I mean, even though she had disdain for technology, she understood it enough to be able to stay on and be relevant for that long. And she was able to, for the parts that she didn't understand, she was able to use the resources around her like a good leader does. She's definitely definitely a strong female character. So, what do you think of? Going back to her demise, her death, there's a couple things I want to talk about there. One, there was a graphic warning, like a trigger warning, before her death. And her death was heavily foreshadowed throughout the book. Like, she made several comments about herself dying or that her end was coming. Did you feel like the graphic warning was necessary or was that kind of... Is that a very millennial thing? I mean, it's a very millennial book <laughs> with the social media. Like, do we now, now need trigger warnings within the book themselves? Okay, so I, my job is a little bit graphic. For our listeners, uh, I work in eye donation where people pass away and then we go and we get their donated eyes that they've chosen to donate to us and then we take the corneas and give them to someone else for surgery. So my job, very graphic, seen lots of things little bit gross. Her death scene was so gross to me. <laughs> really? Yes. I was like, oh, no, no. I like the thing about it going through her brain. I was just, Mm-mm. but I didn't need a warning of any kind because, you know, it's not the kind of thing I need a warning about, I think, because she wasn't killed by another person. So I feel like it's not the kind of thing that could trigger someone's PTSD experience unless they were in a burning building. In which case, they'd have to know about all sorts of things that people wouldn't warn them about, and that's not really popular to warn people about that. Right. So I feel like this was unnecessary. Well, I slightly disagree, as far as the necessity of the warning. Now, for our listeners, I'm 53 years old and I grew up in Brooklyn, so I've seen lots of stuff. Okay, so personally, I did not need the warning, but I understand that when someone picks up a book like this and they've read... What they've read all the way up to that point, there's, there hasn't been any gore. No one's been dismembered. There hasn't been any flaming logs going through somebody's skull or anything like that up until that point. Then things take a real left turn as far as being graphic. I can understand them wanting to put that warning in there saying, okay, we're taking a left turn here. Things are going to get real and graphic and gross because that hasn't been the book up until that point. And they kind of want to give somebody a heads up for that. So yeah. I understand why they did it, but I... As far as necessary, uh, necessary is such a strong word. They covered their behinds. It was necessary to cover their behinds, I think, with that. that That's fair. Because somebody, some Midwestern kid reads this book and has a seizure. And <laughs> what? all of a sudden, you know, and they're having bad dreams or something like that. And all of a sudden, the publisher is being sued and the author's being sued. Oh gosh! Well, that just that just kind of breaks my heart. Okay, I get it. <laughs> oh, a flashing LED light hidden in the page. <laughs> well, the fact that now I feel like there's so many things we have to worry about. Like you know, all of us are writers too, and there's so many things you have to worry about, like offending people about, and like oh, to have someone like sue an author because it got too gross and their kid had a nightmare. Oh. I, but I get what I totally get your point about how it's not a horror book and there has not been any gore. So that really makes sense to me what you said that okay, we are shifting from this kind of lighthearted and funny and sci fi to like, holy crap, like this is pretty gross. And 
Actually, I didn't find myself that grossed out by it. Maybe because there was that warning so I could prepare myself. But I can also kind of distance myself. Like, I've read a lot of horror, and I think it's gotten easier to read. I've been desensitized, which is really awful, you know. <laughs> which right, is what awful, is that? she says with yeah. a smile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I've been on Reddit and clicked on a link and saw someone die. You know, like, there's like a, there's a whole subreddit I won't even tell you the name of it because I don't want anyone to look it up. But there's a whole subreddit where it's, like, videos of people dying. And, like, you know, the first time you click on it, you're like, oh, ha, 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 this is going to be funny, right? Like, it's all a joke. No, it's, like, literally people dying. And that, like, haunts me. Like, that one little thing that I saw haunts me. Because that's a real person dying. That is different than, like, I could read about people getting ripped apart in books, but... To actually see something that's real, like, that's crazy. So in my mind, I can kind of separate what's fiction versus what's real. If I was reading this and this was actually a memoir, obviously this is (laughs) not accurate, you know, real life. But if this was real and I was reading about someone being burned or something, I think that would affect me a lot more knowing that someone... I know someone somewhere has gone through being burned but you know to know that the character didn't actually go through that kind of helped me but I do fear for a society where we have to have warnings on everything and I and I get why we do it and I've had to do it when I'm querying my my book that I've written for some things like there was a question of well do you put a trigger warning in your query when because in case the agent needs that and I don't know I kind of I have mixed feelings on on that whole subject. Like, should we have to protect everybody? And I guess if it, it depends on the genre. Because if, if it's the main subject of the book, I feel like the reader should have an idea when they go into the book, like, this is what it's going to be about. Uh, you know, obviously, if you talk about, like, a sexual assault or something like that in a book, and the rest of your book has not been related to that at all, then that comes out of nowhere, your reader might be really jarred. And, and I can see how how that could really impact someone. Now that you use that example, I'm reminded of one of the other books that we had reviewed that had a, a sexual assault that happened in the past. I forget the title of the book, but it was the, the one with the um, the young lady took a, a psychology test and she got wrapped An up in... An anonymous girl. Anonymous girl. And in Anonymous Girl, she had gone through a sexual assault, but it was really downplayed. And I wonder if part of that motivation for that, not going into it, was to avoid entanglements like that. I'm j- just wondering off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, it is a little sad that we're in a society like that. But it is nice to know that when you clicked on the link and it bothers you and that sort of thing, that we're not sitting here with a sociopath. Because if <laughs> you, would, you would have to be a sociopath to not be affected by something that happens to real-life people right. versus a character in the book. So I now I feel comfortable. Oh, now. Okay, you were concerned yeah, I was, before. <laughs> yeah, I was concerned before because, you know, people talk. and. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if it needed to be so detailed. Yeah. I was sitting there thinking, she's telling us exactly how she was injured because the Carls are going to exactly undo those injuries. And it's important to us to know, like, Oh, it clipped off a little bit of her brain, and the cars were able to, like, whoop, 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 that right back into place. Look how magical they are. And That's then, a good point, and then yeah. we didn't get a taste of that. Maybe it's in the sequel. Mm-hmm. I'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought the only reason to include so many details about it has to be because it's important to her coming back to life. Otherwise, 
what's the point? It doesn't fit the rest of the book at all. That's an excellent point. Yeah, and I don't think there was any other scene that was that detailed to, like, every tiny little action. Even when she first interacts with the Carls, it goes into some detail, but not, you know, painstaking details like that. So, yeah, I mean, they could have just kind of left out a lot of the details Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't have needed a warning at all. Uh, But when you were talking about another book we read and the abruptness, I thought you were going to say the Alice Network, the scene where uh, the fingers all get crushed and how graphic that was and how that kind of came out of nowhere. (laughs) That to me was more disturbing because I was like, ooh, that's something that could happen to me. (laughs) I I would argue that that really didn't come out of nowhere. Yes. Because you got a character in the future, supposedly the future, and her hands are gnarled. You can you tell that she's gone through some hellish experience to get yeah. her hands that way. So I knew it was coming. So in in fact, when she had made the decision to go back to the French evil, guy. yeah, the evil French guy, I I said, well, that's what's that's when it's going to happen. The first time he sees her, it's going to happen. He's going to crush every one of her knuckles in her joints in her hand for some reason. But even though we had an idea that that was coming and there was a buildup in the scene, too, that still was more jarring to me than than this scene. I totally agree with that statement. Yeah, but the rest of the book had the, the sort of content theme stuff that let you know to expect some violence. It's a book about World War One, post-World War Two, and we're, you know... So many terrible, terrible things happened that this wasn't like, oh no, what the hell? It, this was mm-hmm. like in this book, it was like, oh, what a fun romp with a, a YouTube star, and then but she's like, you didn't predict that there would be some sort of violence with all these robots. Like, did you think that the robots were going to be there for a positive reason? I thought they were just going to go kill everybody, and she was going to be the only one left alive. I was kind of, I was kind of hoping for a a positive interaction between <laughs> the robots and humanity, because usually when you go and take over, and you're going to be aggressive and forceful. You kind of take care of it because you're on a schedule. Okay, we got to take care of this planet. We got three other planets to go this month, and we're going to do it now. Now these cars have just been standing around for a while, and I saw that as obviously. They have to get used to us type thing. You know, if you're sending the calls out, say, okay, it's going to be jarring for them to see us right off. Let's just stand around for a while. Let's hover a micron above the ground and just stand there for a while and they'll get used to us and then we can talk to them. So I kind of saw the potential for that, something positive coming out of it. But I predicted that there was going to be, oh, man always manages to screw up a good thing theme in this and that. We would, you know, the main character is going to screw things up, and that her pro, her antagonist was going to kind of help out in that whole effort because when they were going back and forth, it was, you know, like you said, they, they were kind of like Trump supporter type heart and and mind of saying, okay, this is other, this is different, so we're against it. Yeah, I thought that. Well, first I thought it was a test. You know, they had all the puzzles and the dreams and all that. Like, okay, how smart are these humans? Let's see if they can break the code. And then the other part of the test was, is it going to be one person or are they going to work together? Because, I mean, they really had to work together to solve the dream because there's no way they would have had the time to solve it uh, unless they had multiple people working on it. So, But we never really got to see... The fruits of that, like, okay, well, why were they tested? 
so that they could see their weaknesses and kill them all, or so that they could take the smartest ones with them to solve some problem they have back on whatever planet they're from. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. I thought it was like, you know how Star Trek has those rules where, like, if Not you don't know about Star Trek, you can't talk about Star Trek? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like they, they can't go onto a planet that doesn't know they, right. they exist. Right, Not so interference, I, yeah. Yeah. So I figured this was that, where they, they give them a test to figure out, like, are you ready for this? Are you ready for aliens? And maybe they left because they were like, no, you're not ready for aliens. Yeah. Y'all are crazy. Yeah. Come be- back in another couple thousand years. I believe that faster than them trying to find somebody that's going to help them with any kind of problem they have. Because if you figure out how to get to Earth, anybody on Earth is not going to be intellectually helpful to you. Because... You're probably smarter than them in being able to find that place. See, my issue is that they're robots, which inherently means that something else created them, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they're not biological material that somehow evolved like we did as humans. Something made them. So who made them? Are, Are they even aliens? Like, could it have been a human that... Somehow, I don't know, I guess they would have had to go to another planet to get the materials because they were saying that it wasn't anything we had. But then there was a whole weird thing where she had to gather uranium and like nobody thought that was too weird. Like, okay, sure, let me just touch you with these different ingredients. Why does only one one need these ingredients in such a small amount? I think that was just a puzzle. Yeah, that was part of, that was part of like, well, they, they kind of gave her the task. In the, in the form of a code to be, to get these items. And of course, you know, Miranda, what's that her name? Yeah. The scientist, yeah. Miranda, you know, had a huge hand in figuring that part out and helping them determine, you know, what to bring together for them. I think that, yeah, like you were saying before, it's basically a test. You know, can these guys figure it out? And you find that when you put a task on someone that it seemed like they always wanted to cultivate some kind of teamwork. And interaction on a on a base level with the the things that were showing the, the humans and and again conquerors wouldn't do that but people that want a relationship might do that and to speak to the point of you know somebody building the robots you know the beauty of sci-fi is you know almost anything's possible you can say okay this is a planet where people just they're based on metal and tin and they to us they seem like robots they're not biological they're robots. And they came to visit us. That sort of thing. I mean, the the door's always open. Speaking of opening, I thought the Carls would open and a creature would come out. (laughs) Oh, like uh, Men in Black, where it's a little creature that comes out (laughs) of his brain. (laughs) Yeah, or they're like travel pods, you know? That that makes a lot of sense. Unlock it. Then they're like, hey. Come join Starfleet. <laughs> <laughs> they're like one inch tall, and they're like, hey, guys. <laughs> Thanks for the uranium. <laughs> so I thought it was interesting how she had to justify stuff. Like, she talked about the Franz Ferdinand assassination and how that series of events led to other major events and she's like see one event can lead to all these crazy things it's not so weird that this one thing led to all this other stuff felt like that was trying to justify things a little too much i almost felt like if that explanation wasn't in there we could have just gone along with it yeah that felt like authorial intrusion yeah like people might not quite 
be on board with all these things happening so fast. So let me just throw in another example of a time where yeah. <laughs> this has happened in real life. Yeah, as far as using the word unnecessary, I think that was unnecessary, at least for me. And then the other thing that annoyed me, and I don't know if this is just something that was used as a device to make her more believable as a narrator, but she repeated a lot of things multiple times in short span. Like, she talked about going to art school as if it was the first time she had mentioned it several times. So I didn't know if that's because we're supposed to believe that she wrote this in a kind of hectic time in her life and she didn't remember, or if that was just flaws in the writing. Did you notice facts like that multiple times? No, but it does sound like a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch that, so good for you. <laughs> and it, yeah, it wasn't just the art school. I forget other examples of it. Like, why is she saying the same thing over and over again as if we had never heard it? And it happened enough where... It made me think that it was intentional. Maybe it's the brain damage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so that also makes me think, okay, so they had the scene that was so graphic, but then yet when other people get killed, they turn into grape jelly? Why is there such a big... (laughs) Okay, and then she, like, tasted someone else's dead grape body? Like, yo! (laughs) 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 Yeah, that would be the last thing I would think to do. Let me just stick my finger in here and taste this. It, like, got in her mouth, she's like... Did I put on lip gloss? Like, while she was in an ambulance. I'm like, ugh. So gross. Why is it grape? Why, why is it jelly? What? Why? Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, why do we have this super graphic scene of her dying? But then anyone else, they just turn into, like, a pile of ooze. Well, I, I think the reason why was because of who's doing the killing in each case. Okay. So, the people that die by grape jelly... You, you, uh, I've never experienced it myself, of course, but um, I'm assuming. <laughs> I, was good to know. <laughs> I used to be great jelly. No, I, I would assume that it's instantaneous and painless. Okay, and the people that I remember being turned into grape jelly, at least at the time it happened, they were about to do harm or had started doing harm to someone else, and it's the aliens or the Carl's effort of stopping that person from doing harm to others. Mm. Okay? Now, the graphic scene, as far you know who caused that graphic scene, the person that set fire to the warehouse, caused that whole chain of events for that graphic death of our April May. I think it was just a picture of a merciful killing of turning someone into grape jelly. Or <laughs> a killing of, you know, trapping somebody in a warehouse and watching it burn to the ground. Why didn't the Carls just turn her into grape jelly before she could experience all that pain of death? Maybe I you don't can't know. undo the grape jelly. Mm. Well, I'm thinking, why didn't the Carl just get his butt up and run and get her? Yeah. Out of a, it seems like they're capable of doing that. Carl's hand popped up out of nowhere to like save to, her from a to bullet. To catch a bullet. Yeah. Isn't I thought a, that was weird. A karate movie catch a bullet <laughs> <laughs> to save her versus... You know, her going into the warehouse, and I have a theory on that, too. Now, her going into the warehouse was the end of a chain of very poor decisions that she made herself mm-hmm. to, you know, follow these instructions and go in there. Right, without backup. Without or... backup, without consulting with her friends and ignoring them, actually. Just ignoring her friends. So, she kind of brought that on herself kind of deal. Are you saying it's a punishment? No, I'm just saying that going along with what you said earlier... 
if you're Carl and you're capable of building somebody from a single brain cell <laughs> or a bunch of brain cells, then you say, hey, there's no big deal. We'll just scoop up the remains and we'll have April May back for our purposes. You know, they knew they could handle it. That's a Yeah, theory. see, that's the only thing that makes sense to me logically why it wouldn't save her. Because I do think that they were capable is if it was all part of the bigger plan and they knew that it would have a bigger impact. Because they knew that she was live streaming this whole thing, too. I don't remember if at some point it stopped recording or if the entire world watched her, like, die. But maybe they figure that people will know for sure she 100% died. There's proof that she's dead. Like, people can't say, like, oh, well, maybe she escaped at the last second. Like, there's solid evidence. And then they could be like, look, look what we did. We brought you your person back. Oh, so, so people, it's, it's really a Jesus theme. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the, re- the resurrection is real. She actually died, and I guess in the new book it's going to be three days later <laughs> that she comes back to to the the audience of Earth and say, "Hey, I have come back from the dead," and she is the one. Oh my God, that holiday would have grape jelly as part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Ew! I hope it's not the bad guys. <laughs> But they're delicious. <laughs> Never be able to look at grape jelly the same way. <laughs> yeah, nope. Is this food or person? I don't know. So one kind of like small thing that I noticed was that there's a woman president. And this book was written, I was just reading an interview and he wrote it, I think started writing it in like 2013 and then stopped for a while and then did it, I think in 2015 as part of Nana National Novel Writing Month. And then, um, you know, of course, his brother is a very famous author, so I'm sure that contributed to that. But it was still a very long process from when he started it. So do you think it was written with the idea that Hillary Clinton was going to end up being the president? Or it was just leaving it open that, well, just in case there's a woman president? I I feel like it was one of those things where he was writing it for the the future. And I feel like a lot of things that have things set in the future have a woman president to be like, look, you can have a woman president. It's possible. Ignore her email. <laughs> you know, like, I, I think it's just <laughs> more of an example of, like, this is possible. Let's normalize it instead yeah. of specifically Hillary Clinton. I have to totally agree with that because even though the story is, I don't see it has set very far in the future, but it it's set up to show our, side, our society as progressive. And it's a very interesting point that you bring out is because uh, there's a lot of movies before Obama and a lot of movies, if they want to show progress in the progressive society, they would have a black president. Then when Obama got elected, all the people had was, oh, man, he screwed it up for all of us. We can't just get a black guy no more. What are we going to do? A woman. Get a woman president. And um, if Hillary had gotten elected, I think they would have ruined it again and say, what are we going to do? Progressive society. Labrador. Make a Labrador president. You know, something that you would not think of. Right. But I think that was their effort to make the society look progressive, but not too far in the future. And I did catch into how the president was really parental in addition to being presidential with our April May character. And kind of the sign, she was the sign of the, the sound of common sense that she had went against initially as far as, you know, you got to watch out. You got to do the right things. And she gave her a, a, an image of what a strong female can be and can do in a positive light. And she wanted that 
partially, but she didn't want it more than fame. I was glad that they brought the president in because so many books like this you have. I mean, she was a little bit older, 23, versus like normal, like teenage protagonists that are like 14 and they're like fighting against all the bad guys on their own and you're like where's the military like where (laughs) where are the people that know what they're doing and it's just a teenage girl you know doing all this (laughs) right so so i liked that the president had to intervene and be like look we are still a country like you cannot just do what you want but also like she should have been like locked in a room and they're like you are only going to do what we say you can do like you have lost responsibility <laughs> like you cannot do this anymore and they were basically like you just need to approve before you do anything go on go back on your merry way like she really was just like you know slap of the hand and you think she you know? was too light on her oh yeah Really? You would have sent her to There's aliens! There's <laughs> alien robots that might possibly... She brought uranium to an alien. <laughs> and they're like, okay, yeah, you should probably, like, consult with us first. But, okay, go Yeah, go ahead. Now you're gonna blow the whole world up. I, I saw it a little bit differently <laughs> than that. I think that the, the, the portrayal of the president was was very cool and low-key, and I think that the president herself as a character knew how to handle millennials. Because you can't just outright, you know, go to your room with her. <laughs> um, but she made it clear to her, I'm the one with all the power. I am the president of the United States. I'm the most powerful person walking the planet politically. We have our eye on you. So watch what you do. That's the message I got from her. And in a lot of areas, I don't care if you're a 23-year-old woman or a 50-year-old man, that's enough. To say, oh, I better watch my stuff. And the uranium thing, it wasn't like she got bricks of yellow cake and just, <laughs> you know, weapons grade uranium and handed it. It's, it was interesting though, how you can get your, how easily you can get your hands on uranium. Cause that stuff is accurate. What they talked about how she got her hands on yeah. that out of what smoke detectors. Yeah. And stuff. I was like, don't be telling people this, Hank Green. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people don't realize that, um, you know, radioactive substances are used, you know, productively in a lot of, devices and that's why we came up with them that's true let's normalize radioactivity (laughs) it's in your home and it's okay don't watch chernobyl (laughs) (laughs) yeah just kidding watch it it's great (laughs) (laughs) what did you think of their song choices so we had the two there were a couple songs they used but the two major ones were don't stop me now from queen and then call me maybe (laughs) why such a wide, <laughs> wide range of choice of songs. You know, you've got classic, but then the other one I think you could call more of a millennial song. Yeah. I think it's because they're earworms. And so you, you know more lyrics than you think you do, even if you're like, I don't know any Queen songs. If Don't Stop Me Now comes on, you're like, Don't Stop Me Now. Like, you know, you know it, even if you think you don't know it. And Call Me Maybe, like, it's pretty easy. That one made sense to me, because that's, like, everybody who's alive today knows that song. Don't Stop Me Now. I would say, out of all the Queen songs, that one's probably... I wouldn't know all the... I would know the chorus, but I wouldn't know all of the layers. Like, Bohemian Rhapsody, at, like, you know well, the I'm, words to that one. Oh, but that has some or nonsense like, words, though, so that would be really hard. Because you'd but, be like, is that a misspelling on this Wikipedia page, or is that what it really is? <laughs> well, okay, that's true. I think the the calls were just trying to bridge the gap because they're more classic rock kind of guys, and they <laughs> like to listen to the, 
they like to listen to the Stones and Queen and, you know, Journey, as opposed to... Right, Don't know. Stop Believing. Everyone knows that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, they could have picked Don't Stop Believing. <laughs> Everyone knows all the words to that. You, like, that plays in a bar, and, like, everybody and their grandma's singing along. Mm. Well, you know, I don't think the calls came to open a club. <laughs> But they, but, I don't know. But they, they, but you're right. That was a wide range as far as um, familiarity uh, with the the two songs. It puzzled the Queen selection puzzled me a little bit. I gotta say that I totally understand the Call Me Maybe. Everybody's humming that, even on somebody in the jungle with a stick is beating out that onto a log. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting though. The Carls chose English as like the language that they would use to. Because those songs are in English. I'm sure there are translations, but yeah, not all point. of the languages would fit that. And so. they were in multiple countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, they clearly, like, some of the puzzles had to be done in certain languages, but the songs were in English. It's rude, Carl's. Yeah, <laughs> where's the Gangnam style? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then one was, like, David Bowie, Golden Years. I'm like, I would not know... Any I have no idea what that was. I had to look it up. I'm like, what is this? I'm sure if I heard it, I would know. But it's it's definitely not the same level as the other two songs where definitely. everyone would would recognize it. But isn't that the song that the people chose to like trick her into thinking she was... Is that the one at the fire? Oh. Because then it's a bunch of... That's why it was a poor choice. Poor dudes who chose yeah. that song. Okay. Okay, that them. makes sense then. Okay then. The Carls are saying, we would never pick that song. Yeah, Carls were like, oh, Single Ladies was on next week. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh, gosh. Can you imagine, though, like, there's some other planet, like, light years away, and they're, like, listening to Call Me, maybe. They're like, oh, this is what the <laughs> this is what the humans on planet Earth are listening to. We should go there. Wow. That's the only reason why they came here. Yeah. They, they did have to do a lot of research before coming here to be able to set up all those quizzes and puzzles. And yeah, they, they knew a lot about culture and mm-hmm. society. Maybe that was also their way of proving, like, hey, look what we already know about you. Oh, creepy. <laughs> it's like a stalker who's like, I read all of your social media posts from 2009 forward, and I know everything about you. Oh. Like, ooh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> I've met one of those. <laughs> That's a story for another day. <laughs> another interesting fact that I found when I was researching this is that it was initially supposed to just be a graphic novel. It wasn't even supposed to be a full novel. So do you think it's more effective since it's a novel, or do you think it could have been just as effective as a graphic novel? Confession, I don't read graphic novels just because uh, I have an e-reader, and so it's super annoying to try to read a graphic novel on that thing. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it would have been super ineffective. Uh, <laughs> it would not have reached me. But as a format, I think we could have gotten the basic story, but I, I think we would have probably disliked April May a lot more, because we would only see her actions, which were dumb, uh, and not gotten any of her possible internal justifications. Some graphic novels do have a lot of thought bubbles, so we could get a little bit of that. But yeah, it would have to be simplified a lot. But I feel like this is a book that probably could have been condensed down a lot. Yeah, well, as far as graphic novels go, I think that if you have a good story... That can be told well. It, it should be able to span a number of different ways to present it. Whether it's going to be a play, a movie, a graphic novel, straight up novel. This story has the potential to have some of that range. 
I think, uh, to be at, at least to be able to be told effectively, as effective as it was in the book. I don't think it would it would neither improve or diminish the the graphic novel, the story itself. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to see the the images that go along with it because I do feel like he did a great job giving us the visuals, and I was. I mean, I know they're on the cover of the book, but I was able to visualize what the Carls looked like and the grape jelly ooze. <laughs> but for some people, that's always going to be a disappointment because you can't match up with what everybody's going to see in their head. And see, I just had... So my sister, she's 13 and she's not a big reader, but she's just recently started getting into books. I started recommending some young adult books for her. And she really likes reading a book after she's watched the movie because then she can picture the characters and it's easier for her to read. Whereas a lot of people don't like doing that because they like to form their own image in their mind. So if you already know what the characters look like in the director's mind, it's it's harder. So it was interesting to me that, that she said that, that she liked doing that. And I think that there are a lot of people who aren't necessarily big readers that could feel more connected if, okay, I saw, like, the graphic novel, and then I wanted to get deeper into the story, so I read the full novel. I think it really do. It depends on the story or the book or the movie, because I've had both experiences. I've had experiences where I read the book first and then saw the movie, and I've had the good and bad of that. When when Lord of the Rings came out, and they had this, this one scene I was looking forward to, and I said, if they, if they nailed this one scene, as far as what's in my head... Then they've, there's, there is success. And I won't go into details because we don't have time, but they did it. It was like totally what was in my mind at 14 years old when I read the book originally. I said, these guys nailed it. So that made, that increased my enjoyment of the movie. But I've seen movies and they read the book afterwards and I am usually disappointed because when you do a movie, Based on a good book, you got to cut some stuff out. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you have a five and a half hour movie. So a lot of things you enjoyed in the book don't show up in the movie and you miss it. Yeah, I've had it both ways. So Percy Jackson and the Olympians, I saw the movie actually before I read the books and I really enjoyed the movie. And then I read the books and I was like, oh, that movie was terrible. The books are so <laughs> much better. <laughs> I went through that with the Harry Potter movies because I. I'm one of the very few people out there that has not read all the Harry Potter books. <gasps> Get out of this room, Gil. I know we're in your house, but you have to leave. <laughs> I actually just read the first Harry Potter book, like, two years ago. So, anyway. <laughs> we'll I start- be back after this. <laughs> I can't even look at you. Intermission. No, so I read... I started reading it when they very first came out, and I was in elementary school. And there were so many characters, and I didn't know how to pronounce any of their names, and I couldn't picture what they looked like, so I gave up. And then after I watched the movies, I'm like, oh, that's how you say their name. Oh, that's what they look like. Hermione. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was Harry. (laughs) I was struggled with Ron. (laughs) Is it Roan? never know. Right. So I... As an adult, then reading the books, it was a totally different experience. And it's very weird because, you know, now what the characters look like in the movies are the only thing I can picture. And I know a lot of people had their their opinions of what the characters looked like before any of the movies came out. But now it's such a huge pop culture thing that I don't think anyone who reads the books, even if they haven't seen the movies, they know enough about it or have seen a poster or whatever that 
you can't picture anything else but those actors. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Before we're off on like a two hour long Harry Potter rant. So overall, like what would you rate this book? Would you recommend it? I know we already talked about the sequel, but you know, final thoughts. I would, out of five stars, I would give it three and a half stars. I enjoyed reading the book. I don't know how it would be more than three and a half stars as far as this story in the book and the main character. I wanted to like April May more and see her more as a hero, that sort of thing. But it would have taken away from the story, I think, overall, if she was that shining character. So... Um, to be fair to the author, it's a good book. I would recommend it to other people. It's a good read, quick read, and uh, I learned some things from it. But, um, three and a half is as far as I'm willing to go. Uh, I would do four because it was well written, okay? we The one we were supposed to read was a real stinker in terms of like quality <laughs> of writing, so this one was much, much better. Um, the story really moved, great pacing, some nice tension. Taking off a star because I didn't super root for the main character, and I feel like even if you don't like them, you have to at least be on their side. Uh, and she just made too many decisions that I thought were illogical to the point where someone wouldn't do that if they were a decent human being. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would recommend it to people who like speculative fiction, maybe people who have trouble getting into sci-fi and want the doorway to sci-fi. Gateway. Gateway. Yeah. Gateway drug to sci-fi. You know, probably if you like John Green's style, you'll like Hank Green's style. And he's a little bit older in terms of audience. So if you liked John Green as a teenager, you'll like Hank Green as a new adult. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's a female lead character, unlike all of... Well, John Green has some female. Now in his newer books, he's got... Yeah, and Hazel in the star... It's not A Star is Born. What's it? The Fault in in Our Stars. Yeah. That's true. I forgot about that one. His earlier books were all, like, nerdy boys. Yeah, and they're manic pixie dream girls. Yeah, yeah. So we did kind of branch out from that. Good job, John Green. Congratulations, <laughs> sir. <laughs> you can put yourself into the mind of a teenage girl, kind of. Uh, so, yeah, I would give this a four out of five. I enjoyed it. It was a quick read. I am one of those people where I would probably not ever pick up a sci-fi book, so I guess this was my gateway. Maybe I will be a little bit more open-minded about sci-fi books moving forward. I think the young adult sci-fi is probably more my cup of tea because it's not going to be as like highly technical, I would think, as like adult sci-fi. Um, so I did definitely enjoy it, and I would recommend it to other people like me I think people who do really love sci-fi and are, like, super into it may be kind of bored by this because they're like, eh, whatever, it doesn't go too in-depth into the, the science-y part of it. Um, but I think you could still get some enjoyment out of it. I do think that the audience is probably more geared towards millennials uh, just because of the way they talk about social media, but I think non-millennials could still enjoy it too. So next month for our podcast, we will be talking about Sweet Little Lies by Kaz Freer. And we did get to talk to the author. So we'll have some question and answers from her that we will discuss. So make sure you read the book ahead of time so that you can join in on that discussion. Thanks for listening to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. 
I'm Amber Gregg. Join us next month to see what we thought of another best-selling book with a strong female main character. The chat doesn't end here. Let us know your thoughts in the comment area or connect with us on social media. Enjoyed the show? Share the love. Give us a review, like, follow, and a share with your friends. Find more reviews, discussions, and articles related to publishing, writing, and editing on judgingmorethanjustthecover.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace out. Thank you.